The Leach Report Radio Network is on the air with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is where the Big Blue Nation comes for the latest news and views on the Cats. Interact with the show now by tweeting at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. Call us at 877-904-1080. Now, the voice of your Wildcats, Tom Leach. Hello, everybody. Welcome in. It is the Wednesday edition of the Leach Report. Very pleasant day out there as we get the show started. Going to lead off with Chris Fisher from catspaws.com. Kyle Tucker joins us on Wednesdays from theathletic.com. And J.D. Shelburne, country music artist, will join us to talk about his new album and a big uh, concert in his hometown of Taylorsville coming up this weekend. And he's also a major cat fan. So that's the guest lineup for today. Let's get right into the Wildcat news of the day. And that is a service of Kentucky Beer Cheese. The NCAA's D1 Council has reportedly pushed back a possible vote on name, image, and likeness legislation until Monday. Reportedly, they are studying a proposal put forth by six conference commissioners, including Greg Sankey of the SEC. Now, the NIL proposal that was put forth in, I think, January, that they elected not to vote on at that time, uh, in the NCAA, what, had a lot of restrictions in it about what players could, uh, student-athletes could do, not do, with respect to um, trying to use their name, image, and likeness. Now, in the wake of the Supreme Court ruling, seems to be an idea, and, and this proposal eliminates a lot of restrictions. The um, proposal that is put out there by Commissioner Sankey and and others would say essentially would make this very simple. States with laws going into effect uh, as of next Thursday would the schools in those states would uh, follow the state laws. In states like Kentucky, where there is not any legislation that's been passed, schools could set their own policies, but they just couldn't pay players to. Uh, to play and there could be no recruiting inducements so it uh, keeps it pretty simple but in the simplicity would be a lot of room for you know how old do you want to be in terms of uh, letting guys uh, cut deals and ladies uh, cut deals for themselves and how would those compete against deals that you already have for your programs with your rights holders and all those kinds of things. It's obviously very, very complex, and yet in the short term, probably I would think makes sense to to try to keep it simple until you can uh, either get some help from Congress or come up with a, a clear plan that you think is legally defensible because that's the thing with the NCAA is they have... I would use the term wasted a lot of money on legal battles that they were always destined to lose and did. And so when they hit some tough times there in the pandemic and lost an NCAA tournament, their reserves weren't nearly as as big as they used to be. And so uh, they didn't have as much uh, money to pay out to help schools get through a, a difficult time. So, this is incredibly 
complex for those involved uh, in athletic administrations. And uh, it's the t- the clock is ticking as far as you know all these states that don't have laws that are going into effect. Um, how are they going to compete against the schools and the states that do? And so I would think they'll probably come up with something. Uh, worst case scenario, it'll be uh, Mark Emmert will put out some directive that'll give them some guidance if they don't pass anything next week. But my guess is they'll pass something uh, on on Monday. Uh, but we'll see. It's going to be a big story to watch here over the next couple of weeks. To the NBA playoffs, Suns beat the Clippers in Game 2 uh, last night in dramatic fashion. Uh, less than a second left for the Suns, uh, and they had the ball inbounded in the corner. And it, it was like, you know, in, in soccer where you've, you've got to throw in uh, and you kind of throw it to the, to the goal and try to uh, score. Well, they threw it to the rim, and DeAndre Ayton slams it in, and Phoenix wins the game. Goes up 2-0. The thing, two, two things happened on the play. I see, you know, uh, you know, all of the you know, clips of Aiton talking and you know about Aiton had the least to do. He's seven feet tall, and he his man got screened off. All and the pass was perfect. All he had to do was jump and stuff it in the basket. Uh, the most incredible play was Jay Crowder's pass, perfect to the rim. Uh, because you know you don't have time to to catch it, go back down and go up. You've got to be able to uh, make that throw the, in the way that he did, so it can be tipped in or or caught and slammed as Aiton did. The other thing, it was Devin Booker who set the screen that freed up Aiton to get uh, to the rim unimpeded, and those were the two uh, most key elements and and most well executed parts of the play. Um, but it was incredible. If you haven't seen it, go take a look at it. Just a uh, superbly executed play. Links to the stories that we talk about each day can be found on the Bud Light Leach Report page at TomLeachKY.com. We're coming to you from the Clark's Pump and Shop studio here in Lexington. We'll come back with Chris Fisher in just a moment here on the Leach Report. This is the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. You can follow Tom on Twitter. It's at Tom Leach KY. Chris Fisher joins us from catspaws.com. Uh, and a lot of uh, news in the recruiting world that uh, with visits happening now, all these things that we didn't have for a long time. Uh, several prospects have, have been or will soon be visiting Kentucky. Chris, uh, you wrote at catspaws.com most recently about uh, Derek Lively, a seven-footer who is uh, creating quite a buzz these days. Yeah, it, he's completely exploded this spring and then summer with his play for the final and also with the spring. Okay, well, Shannon, see if you could reconnect with uh, Chris. We're having a uh, bad connection there. Um, in the meantime, let me tell you about the NBA draft lottery Last night, um, the Pistons, I think for the first time since 1970, are going to have the first overall pick. They won the lottery. So congrats to our buddy Dwayne Casey, the former Wildcat, who coaches the Pistons. And this could be huge for them. They had a couple of players that made the all-rookie team this season. So they're uh, building a nice young core. Now they can, uh, I would guess, take Cade Cunningham uh, to – 
a be their quarterback, if you will. Um, Woj, Adrian Wojnowski, noted that the last time the Pistons had the number one pick, they did well with it in taking Bob Lanier out of St. Bonaventure. So I think that actually would have been just past 1970, so maybe it was a little after that. But anyway, um, happy for uh, Dwayne Casey to get the number one pick in the lottery. All right, got Chris Fisher back with us now. Tell us about uh, what you wrote regarding Derek Lively. Yeah, he's a kid that's absolutely exploded um, this spring and summer with his play for spring final and with his individual play at the Pangos All-American camp in Las Vegas earlier this month. Uh, may not be a hotter name in recruiting right now than Derek Lively. He's firmly established himself as one of the premier big men in the country and definitely in that five-star range, maybe even climbing into the top 10, top 15. But when you talk about guys that look like they were born to play for John Calberry, that's you're talking about Derek Lively. He, uh, there aren't many seven-footers that can move like he does. Uh, really protects the rim, runs the floor, blocks shots, uh, and has a developing offensive game as well. So I uh, took an official visit to Kentucky over the weekend, picked up a long-awaited scholarship offer, and based on my conversations with him, I think Kentucky's right at the top of uh, top of his list. He visited North Carolina earlier this month and will visit Duke uh, at the end of the month. So uh, really like Kentucky's positioning with him early on. So does Kentucky pitch, you know, uh, the Anthony Davis model to him to to be that kind of player? Or is Cal going back to a guy like Marcus Camby maybe? Yeah, it was a little bit of everything. He said he compared him to some of the best bigs he's had at Kentucky. Anthony Davis, Willie Cauley-Stein has been a really popular comparison for Derek Lively just because of how well he moves, how athletic he is, how he runs before uh he told me uh, John Calipari threw in Carl Anthony Towns as well. So Kentucky obviously thinks a lot uh, of this kid. And, again, he's tailor-made for what John Calipari likes to do with his big guys at both ends of the floor. And so I think Kentucky's positioned itself well for him. Uh, of the uh, other visits that Kentucky either has hosted or is, is lining up, any guess on what their priority list looks like for this next class? No, I think it's still early. Obviously, they have a handful of guys that they've extended offers to, and they'll start there and work their way out. But I definitely think they're still early on in the process of evaluating the 2022 class. I don't think John Calipari was a fan of the pandemic uh, evaluations that they had to do. I think he likes to get out and get eyes on uh, on players and, and do that deliberately. And uh, wasn't quite able to do that with the pandemic and the the loss of the travel season and in-person recruiting and evaluating all that stuff. And so I think he's going to take his time. But uh, Shaden Sharp is a guy that officially visited Kentucky here recently. I think he's uh, very high on Kentucky's list, and I think um, Kentucky is, is high on his list. He may not be in a rush, per se, to make a decision, but I definitely think Kentucky's going to be in the thick of things uh, when he does. Reed Shepard's recruitment is going to be a huge storyline for as, as long as it plays out. Um, what do you think Kentucky's thinking is, if you had to guess? And how do they, you know, he's he's not the next class. He's you know two classes away. He's class of 23. So how do they typically approach guys that are a little further down the line? 
Yeah, I think when you look at uh, June 15th marked the first day that college coaches could contact recruits in the 2023 class directly, and he was one of nearly 30 uh, rising juniors to hear from Kentucky. I think initially they are casting a very wide net, uh, reached out to a lot of different guys, and I think, honestly, they're monitoring him and evaluating him the same way they would any other prospect in the 2023 class. I think they like him. I think they're excited about him, but you know they're going to let the process play out. And I would urge fans to do the same. We saw you know, how it affected Dante Allen last season when you put undue expectations on a kid and, you know, wanting Kentucky to, you know, pull the trigger on a scholarship offer or anything like that. Like, just let the recruiting process play out. And I think Reed Shepard has the talent and the ability and the genes and the DNA to play at a place like Kentucky. And I think at the end of the day, he's going to have a national recruitment. He's going to have pretty much his choice of, of schools to go to. And uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. You never know how how kids think in terms, uh, and I don't know if you have any insight into Reed. Sometimes the kid desperately wants to play where a, a parent played, in this case both of his parents, or might think they don't want to fa- you know, face all those comparisons and would rather go someplace different. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And obviously both of his parents were stars at Kentucky. I'm not sure what his thinking is on that. Um on that specifically, but um, he's definitely an intriguing uh, prospect with his athletic ability, with his IQ, with his feel, uh, with his overall skill level. Uh, you have schools like uh, Virginia and um, other schools that I think are a little bit on him really hot and heavy so far. Um, Kentucky is, is, you know, established contact, but are still kind of in a, in a wait and see mode with him. So, um, it'll be it'll be fun to to follow for sure. I think he's going to end up even higher in the national rankings than, than he is right now. Chris Fisher, thank you much. All right, thanks. Quick break, and JD Shelburne will join us when we come right back. Kyle Tucker in the second half of the Leach Report for this Wednesday. It's the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. Coming up next, it's Kentucky Sports Radio with Matt Jones. We welcome to the program J.D. Shelburne, Wildcat fan. We will get into that in a second. But first, a new album coming out and a big concert this Saturday in your hometown, right, J.D.? Yes, sir, man. Can't wait. Looking forward to it. It's been a long time coming. Uh, tell us about the concert, first of all. Well, this Saturday I'll be coming back to my hometown of Taylorsville. Uh, I'll be coming back. We're hosting a free concert for my hometown fans on the 26th at 7 p.m. downtown. It's, it's a big celebration for the, for new music. Uh, it's completely free to the public. And uh, like I said, can't wait to get back home to my hometown fans where it all started for me. So just show up, right? All you got to do is show up, bring a lawn chair, and uh, maybe some sunscreen. <laughs> <laughs> I, hear, well, I hear it's going to be 90 degrees, which I'm fine with. Uh, tell us about the new album. So the new album is called Straight from Kentucky. I uh, spent most of the pandemic uh, writing the album. I did start on the album before pandemic was even thought of. It's produced by uh, one of the best producers in Nashville, Phil O'Donnell. He's worked with Blake Shelton and Craig Morgan and, and many other stars. And, uh, him and I went to the studio uh, 
right at the beginning of 2020 and all through pandemic and put this album together and uh with being on the cover of the tourism guide last year i just thought straight from kentucky would just it is just meant to be to be the album title. So spend a lot of time. It's going to be a full length, 11 song album. Uh, it'll come out this Friday on social platforms and, uh, we'll be coming back home on Saturday to celebrate the, uh, the album and new music. Can't wait. Probably good, uh, for you that you had this project to work on during the pandemic because, you know, performers like yourself, uh, you had to be going crazy when you couldn't perform. It was pretty wild. You know, um, I'm used to, uh, to being on the road about 200 dates a year and when COVID hit, uh, I had played about 50 shows up till about March, and then COVID hit, and I lost 86. But as you can imagine, we were kind of busting at the seams, wanting to get back out on the road. I still played 100 shows in 2020, which is kind of unheard of to, to, to play that much. But I didn't really do very many band shows, and so this Saturday will be a band show. It's been months since I've been with my band, so I know the guys, my drummer, bass player. You know, those are guys that don't really play acoustic shows with us, so they're itching to get back out on the road and play music again. So. Uh, but I got to say, during the pandemic, uh, my wife was pregnant, so I spent more time at home and prepping for the nursery and for my son, Jacks. And um, you know, so I try to turn a, a negative into a positive, and that, that was kind of a blessing in disguise. Good for you. Uh, tell us about your background as a big blue fan. Huge blue fan, man. I grew up a uh, Kentucky fan my entire life. I still remember where I was at when Leitner hit that shot against against Kentucky uh, back in '92. I, I grew up on a family tobacco farm. Uh, Dad took me to Rupp Arena when I was a kid. I still remember Kenny Walker, uh, Rex Chapman. One of my all-time favorite players is Jeff Shepard, the '98 Cats. So I've just been—I've had blue in my blood for years. And uh, ended up graduating high school in '01 and moved to Lexington and, and uh, graduated from UK in '07. So uh, I've—I've uh, I've been a lifelong Blue fan. And uh, if you guys remember back in 2000 and uh, in 12, uh, UK football coach Joker Phillips was in my very first video. That's kind of—that's kind of what got me on the UK. Uh, uh, out in media and, and kind of got UK UK fans following my career. So, oh, Joker Phillips, a lot of a lot of thanks and, and gratitude for what he did for me way back when. So about thirty seconds. Blue, so about thirty seconds here. What was? Do you remember your first game you went to? You know, I I don't. I do remember seeing Richie Farmer playing at Freedom Hall. Um, oh wow! I, I can't remember exactly what it was. It's been a long time. State ago, tournament, I guess. I, it was. I, I remember that, and uh, I still remember going up and seeing Travis Ford play at Rupp. I, we we had nosebleed seats, and I de- remember Dad taking binoculars and having to see. I can barely <laughs> see the numbers on the jerseys that far up, but those are the good old days. And, Absolutely. Uh, still, I, JD, good luck with the album and uh, also with the concert this Saturday in Taylorsville, Kentucky, right? Yep. Thank you guys very much. Go Cat. Thank you. Kyle Tucker, when we come right back. You're tuned to Talk Radio 1080 and The Leach Report. And visit TomLeachKY.com for more news and views on the cats. Second half of our show for this Wednesday, and we welcome in Kyle Tucker from TheAthletic.com, who uh, joins us here on The Leach Report on Wednesdays. And we'll say it may be an abbreviated visit here because uh, – People that follow you on Twitter, I don't want to go too deep into your personal life, but they know your wife's had some health issues, and you guys are up in Baltimore uh, dealing with one of those right now, so we appreciate you giving us whatever time you can. Yeah, yeah, in the waiting room right now, so I'm killing time. So unless they call me back, I'm, I'm good to go. All right, well, we'll just kind of play it by ear. You uh, tell us what, uh, what uh, if you need to, to drop off. Let's start with the Supreme Court ruling this week, and um, you know now – 
everything's kind of thrown into chaos, it seems, with what the NCAA is going to do with respect to NIL with these laws kicking in from half a dozen states next week. Uh, I'm sure you talk with uh, reporter friends who who are covering this even more than than you are. Um, What do you think happens? Well, with the the more the immediate, the immediate thing, the NIL thing, I think the the most uh, important uh, development, especially as it relates to Kentucky, is that Mark Emmert has kind of come out and said, if you know, basically, if there's not a national policy in place, a national law in place, you know, when all this stuff happens on July first, and these you know, very mostly SEC states. Um, have their own laws go into effect that, that the NCAA will step in and, and and basically lay down some sort of edict on what you know what it will allow nationally and open it up uh, nationally. And that would have been, I, I think, if that had not happened, if we had not gotten some kind of reassurance on that front, I think it would have been a, a massive blow for a program like Kentucky because you you've got all these uh, southern states, SEC states. Um, and, and around the country um, that are going to have something in place come July 1st. And so they, they, you know, their schools have been able to plan accordingly, you know, based on what those um, new laws are going to say. And, and Kentucky has had a proposed bill that didn't uh, go through um, and obviously wasn't going to happen by July 1st. And so I, I think it was critically important that some someone at, the, at a national level, whether it be federal government or the governing body, the NCAA, was going to say, okay, everybody can do something, and here's what it is. Um, that was huge. I, I just I, I can't overstate. I don't think um, how much of a disadvantage Kentucky would have been in, uh, been at, um, if this had all rolled out on July 1st, and there was no provision for them to allow their own athletes to um, take advantage of this situation. So that's one thing. And then from the broader perspective, the NCAA, I mean, the uh, Supreme Court ruling um, on its face doesn't, and, and a lot of people have said this on it this particular decision on its face doesn't really transform college athletics because it's more about educational benefits. But I, I do think that the, the language of it, of the decision essentially invites, uh, you know, anyone involved in college athletics to um, file more uh, lawsuits, to bring more cases um, to the lower courts and then the higher courts and ultimately the highest court at the Supreme Court level um, that will re- completely remake what the NCAA is, and, and I do think it is the end. We, we have seen the beginning of the end of, of amateur sports, really, in in any way that we've understood it for all these um, many years. I, I think so many things are about to be changed or be subject uh, to change because of um, sort of the antitrust language that was in that decision. I mean, it's pretty clear that this Supreme Court um, kind of finds the NCAA's argument about amateurism and the reasoning behind maintaining it uh, to be kind of farcical. And so, uh, you know, I think the doors are wide open for, for not just the change we're already seeing, but even bigger changes down the road. I read something, uh, as I said, I've read so many different things over the last few days after this ruling, but um, one article suggested that um, college administrations may – uh, flip in f- in favor of having some f- at some point some kind of union of of players, and that would 
obviously necessitate some kind of compensation being involved because if you have collective bargaining, you don't have the antitrust thing to deal with. Right, right. You know, and, and there, I mean, there's a, there's a, a million new a considerations. I mean, yeah. you know, are, are we going to start talking about, okay, when you talk about fairness and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, fair pay and all that kind of thing, when this becomes, you know, what it really is, when it becomes recognized what it really is as a business, um, are, are we going to maintain these million-dollar athletic director salaries, and, you know, three to eight million dollar coaching salaries and million dollar assistant coaches um when you give you know a relatively minuscule piece of the pie uh to the actual uh labor um that's all going to be very interesting and if you if and if schools get forced into a situation where they it's not just name image and likeness but the but the programs themselves are having to to pay some form of a salary um, can they even afford to do that stuff? You know, right now, that, that's the, the other thing that's really interesting to me. Like right now, since you're not paying the athletes, um, you are, you see these programs, you know, you build this crazy new facility you gotta, that you got a water slide in the middle of. And you got to spend the money somewhere. Uh, you see the coaches making eight to $10 million and, and all these assistants making a million dollars because you got to spend the money somewhere. But if you, if the model changes and you're now, uh, in, and you now have the burden of, of actually paying your labor, can you maintain these coaching and, minute, and administrative salaries at the astronomical level? Can you can you continue to build these you know temples and upgrade every few years um, with that money, or does that money have to start going to the to the athletes? And then you know how does that change the dynamic? You know how, how much more attractive does it become for a coach? You know. Like John Calipari, you know, if, rewind this. This was all happening five or six years ago. How much more does that potentially push a coach like him and others, Nick Saban and others, into the professional ranks? That, that, that's going to be be very interesting to me. Something uh, Cal has talked about, and, and uh, others at some point, you know, uh, the, the major conferences, you know, coming together, kind of uh, more like a football model, and just um, being in charge of their own destiny and not. Uh, the NCAA would be maybe taken out of the mix. I mean, are we? Does could this uh, hasten something like that? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I really don't know. Like, I think everything's kind of on the table now. Um, again, because of, because of the wording of that Supreme Court ruling, I think it, it essentially is like a almost like an alarm bell for um, interested parties to to raise issues um and have them heard i think in in a, in a in what seems to be a welcoming environment in the current you know higher level courts to to completely change how things are done and and, and until we know i think until the dust settles on how the model completely shifts uh i don't think we're gonna really know you know what the what even the structure looks like when that's done i it it is certainly not going to be anything like what we've had for the last, you know, several decades. Um, and I know that's going to upset some people. Uh, I think the other thing here is like, you know, the idea that, well, if this is, you know, people will say like, if this becomes professional sports, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to watch or I'm not going to love it as much. I don't think that's true. I really genuinely believe that in whatever form it takes, um, when you, when you've got your, you know, people representing your program, your school, the, the, the 
you know, the logo you've always loved and rooted for, I don't think you're going to be sitting there in the stands angry or, or disenchanted by the fact that some of those guys are you know, making some kind of income from it. But, uh, but I do think it's going to be very different. It, it is not going to be the same. It uh, is going to be, I guess, in the in the short run at least, um, very chaotic. Maybe is the best word uh, as far as you know what uh, young men, young ladies are going to be able to do in terms of uh, making money and how it would seem that uh, the Supreme Court ruling would um, uh, give give schools a, a in the NCAA a great incentive to not put too many restrictions on this either. Yeah, I mean, that's the other piece of it. You know, how much can you, you know, we know that the NCAA is an iceberg. You know, it, it moves very slowly, and, you know, you they want to give as little ground as they can. But I think, they've, I think they're on notice now that you better, better give a decent amount of ground or you're just going to find yourselves in, this, in these legal battles over and over and over again, and it, it seems you're probably going to lose most of them. But, yeah, the, the chaos factor is, is going to be really interesting because right now, I think it's so it's going to be so important to see to be nimble, to be creative, um to be thinking really far outside the box to not only be thinking about what what is possible now but what is what is and what could be possible in the future and and structuring your, you know, your athletic departments, your staff, if you're John Calipari, you know, finding creating new staff positions and I think they've been thinking about it. I wrote a whole story with uh, one of my colleagues, C.J. Moore, um, a week or so ago for The Athletic, and I asked Cal about it, and we talked to several other coaches. I talked to Nate Oates and uh, Eric Musselman, and we've got Scott Drew and a bunch of other um, high-level coaches just about like the changing nature of your college, ba- just the college basketball staff and what, what you think about it needing and what's important, and you, you have analytics and you have all, you know, probably need a, need a transfer market uh um, department just to monitor that whole thing, but also this name, image, and likeness stuff. It, it is going to be fascinating to see which schools kind of win the arms race on, you know, getting a getting a program up that makes sense, getting one up that, and running that that really truly facilitates helping these guys, you know, get paid um, at the highest level, and just creating a program where. You know, the high level athletes feel like if I go here, I'm going to kind of maximize my earning potential. And, and it can't be like a generic, uh, I think the winning programs will not have just a generic sort of all encompassing type program or a sort of a halfway program that they slap a name, image, and likeness like tag on. It needs to be a really specific thought out, um, you know, and I think, you know, leading cutting edge type of program that those are going to be the programs that win when this, when the dust settles from this. Um, about a uh, quarter before the top of the hour, uh, do you are you able to hang on for another segment? I think I am. I'll, All right. I'll let you know if I can't. <laughs> we'll do that. We'll roll uh, We'll roll it with it that way. We'll take a quick break. Kyle Tucker will be with us. We'll come right back. You can read him at theathletic.com, and we'll be right back on the Leach Report. Look for the Leach Report on Facebook. Show updates, contests, and other cool stuff. Check it out today. We're back with Kyle Tucker. You can read him at theathletic.com. Uh, great stuff. Uh, if you've got a you know, birthday or uh, 
anniversary, some kind of special occasion where you're looking for a gift for uh, someone that's a big sports fan uh, with college football on the horizon, uh, the start of it for 2021, be a great subscription or a great grift idea to give a subscription. Um, and let me uh, shift gears here, Kyle, to um, your uh, colleague there at the Athletics, Seth Davis, did one of his um, mailbag columns. All of, all of the, the writers do those where they invite questions. And uh, one of them was about something to do with a, a player of the year question, but he uh, took uh, t- Seth expanded it to talk about player of the year candidates in each league and the top three he ranked in each league and uh in um the sec the he ranked a player from arkansas first from auburn second and third was oscar shibway uh and i just wondered oh wow if you think that's uh, would come as a surprise to fans that uh, that he might be the favorite to be the best player on the team you know, I, th- that's an interesting thought. You know, I, I I don't think I've given a ton of thought to that yet, but I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, he was, a, you know, he was an All Big Twelve um, player um, as a freshman. Uh, obviously, his you know beginning of his second year didn't go as he had planned. He had a, a star, another star big man that he was sharing time with, and Derek Culver at West Virginia. Um, but I, I think it does stand a reason, like that he's he has the least competition uh, on a really what what should be another good Kentucky team that makes a big bounce back um, in terms of you know he's going to play his minutes, he's going to have his position, he's going to be a productive player. It, it would surprise me if he's not you know approaching a double double um, for them, and if he's you know if he's putting up those kind of numbers and kind of being that that post presence for a team that's you know, contending to win the SEC. Um, yeah, I would think he'd be in that mix. I, you know, I, I think another interesting candidate for Kentucky would be Keon Brooks. And I'm not sure a lot of people necessarily would agree with me, but I, I do think I will continue to bang the drum that he was about as important of a person as they could have to, to return um, from a leadership standpoint, from a just pure experience standpoint. There's been so few guys that have, you know, Especially five star guys that they that come in and, and make it to a junior year, um, I think that's just so important for continuity and kind of showing everybody the ropes. And then too, I just I think when we've seen the flashes of Keon Brooks, you know, the high end version of him of himself, um, knowing that I, or or believing that he'll shoot it pretty well uh, eventually from three. Um, we know he's a good mid range shooter. Like I, I just feel like a junior Keon Brooks, totally healthy with a full off season kind of a chance to to lean into the on the leadership role without you know having the on-court part taken away from him where i think last year he felt uncomfortable having any kind of leadership role um because of the time he missed keon to me could make a massive leap and and be kind of the heart of a of this kentucky team and if that's the case i would put him on that list as a you know under consideration as well it's going to be uh, fascinating how the rotation and the minutes all all shake out because there just seems to be a yeah, at this point anyway a lot of different ways that uh, could go and if you had to to bet on the guy getting the most most minutes consistently it might be Shibway. Yeah, that's the thing. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, I, like, that's a good point. Knowing, like, believing that he's going to get, you know, 30 minutes a game. If I, if there was anybody on the roster that I would say, like, this guy's playing 30 minutes a game if he's not in foul trouble, like, it would be Oscar. Um, the other, the other guy's Kellen Grady. Like, how does he transfer? How does he translate from Davidson 
to the SEC. I mean, if he if he's putting up Davidson numbers, you know, he scored 17 a game every yeah. season for four years in college. If he puts up, you know, anywhere close to his Davidson numbers at Kentucky, then he's a, you know, he's an all SEC and a, and a player of the year candidate as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, people say, well, it's, you know, it's Davidson. Now he's going into, you know, a power five league. Uh, you know, Seth uh, Curry's little brother, uh, Steph Curry's little brother, Seth, still playing in the league after starting out at Liberty. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's kind of the, well, and, and also just, Steph Curry played at Davidson. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, you don't have to go to his brother. I mean, you, you, you see examples of that, you know, all over the place. Uh, CJ McCollum at, at uh, Lehigh, if, if, if our friend Ben Roberts is uh, is listening, he'll get a laugh out of me saying that. One of the funniest, most embarrassing moments I've ever had, We Ben Roberts and I were at an AAU event, a Nike event, a few years ago, and, you know, they have all these big posters all over those gyms of, of the alum that played on the EYBL you know, Anthony Davis and, you know, all those guys. And there was a guy, for some reason, I just couldn't place him, and I was standing there next to a college assistant. Uh, from, And I said, I said, who is that guy? And he looked at me, this assistant looked at me, and he rolled his eyes, and I could feel Ben, like, staring a hole through me, and the guy says, it's C.J. McCollum, and it was a it was a Lehigh assistant coach that I was asking that. <laughs> oh, no. Um, uh, but, you know, there there are plenty of guys who play at a high level, you know, at the mid-major level who, who can hang they could play they could absolutely play uh, at the major conference level and kellen grady i think sort of fits the ingredients of, of a guy who could make that jump i think and play well kyle thank you much for uh doing it hopefully it was maybe a little bit of distraction for you and uh wish you guys well i appreciate it take care tom it's uh kyle tucker you can read him at theathletic.com we'll wrap it up when we come right back one final note on this Wednesday, Kentucky has extended a scholarship offer to a class of 22 running back out of Louisville. Uh, Jawan Northington plays at DuPont Manual High School. It's his first SEC offer, so a name to follow on the in-state uh, circuit for football recruiting. Uh, one of the recruiting note, 22-point guard Dior Johnson committed to Oregon. Uh, that will do it for us. We'll see you tomorrow on the Leach Report. Thanks for listening to The Leach Report. Make sure you check out the podcast page at TomLeachKY.com whenever you miss a show. And be sure to follow The Leach Report Facebook page. If you have a question for Tom, email it to 